Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Hey, if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 1 as we are continuing in our teaching series. If you were with us last week, uh, you'll remember that we began an Advent teaching series. The word Advent means coming, and so we've been looking at the first coming of Jesus, and we've entitled the te- our teaching series, The Light Has Dawned. And during this time, we want to celebrate when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And last week, um, we were looking at the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and we saw that how uh, we can always trust God even when our circumstances are strange and don't seem to make sense. And today, during, during today's message, it's going to be kind of like a part two of part one. And uh, although we're going to be in a totally different passage I'm going to be bringing in some of the points that I made last week because I want you to see that there is a pattern that goes throughout the scriptures and that we, uh, if we will apply it to our lives, it will help us to know how to trust God. And today, we're going to spend time looking at the life of Joseph. So if you'll stand with me in in the reading of the Word of God, we're, we're going to look at Joseph, who was the husband of Mary and the earthly father of Jesus. We're going to be in Matthew, again, chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill What the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. That is, he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for your word. And as we are in this familiar text, we ask that you would give us fresh eyes and fresh faith. Help us to respond, uh, to put our trust and our hope fully in you. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, listen, as Christians, you know we are called. Have you ever, do you realize that we are called to walk in biblical truth as Christians? 
Uh, and sometimes, though, have you noticed that depending on what that truth is, sometimes it really is a big deal that we're extremely accurate with it. And then there's sometimes where it's not as crucial. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, there's a picture that's going to come up here on the screen, and this is what we call a traditional nativity scene. And uh, in that scene there, there are biblical accuracies and what? Biblical inaccuracies. Let's, let's zoom in on that picture a little bit. Uh, as you can see, uh, the structure behind Mary and Joseph is a lean-to structure that probably isn't accurate. Historians say that they were either born, he was either born in a cave, or some would say, recently would say that he was born in a guest house uh, that had a manger in it. So that's probably not accurate. Secondly, look at the halos around uh, their heads. I, I don't think that that was happening that night with uh, halos. It was probably ordinary, just like when we look at one another. Uh, also notice the age of Mary. Uh, she, uh, scripture is not clear on how old she is, but again, historians, biblical historians would say that she probably was a young teenager. She looks like she could have a teenager in this picture. And look at the little baby Jesus. I don't know about you, but it looks like he's about to get up and walk out, okay? So uh, he was definitely not able to do that. And uh, let's back back out of the picture. Uh, there is uh, the one that's really glaring is the wise men, right? That's the one that, you know, us who are biblically accurate, the wise men were not there and the star would not have been there. That's, by God's grace, next week we're going to look at that when we look at Herod. Uh, but that is not accurate. And those things right there, when I was younger in my faith, and I saw this when I was really young, so it's not like I had to be a great theologian to see these things. I just read the Bible and was like, wait a minute. They were in a house when the wise men got there. But they, those used to bother me, and I was just like, that's heresy or, or whatever, until I realized... Okay, this manger scene is basically a summary of what happened on, on, um, when, the, when the Savior came to earth. The biblical truth is not compromised because God's promise to send the Messiah was fulfilled during the Advent, during what we call the Christmas season. And so to me, the inaccuracies like that don't negate the biblical message being conveyed. But you know what? Sometimes... There are inaccurate statements that we can make that do really matter. For example, this one right here. Let me ask you this. Is this true? God will never give you more than you can handle. How many of you have ever said, don't raise your hand. How many of you have ever said that? I have said that before in the past. God will never give you any more than you can handle. Well, is that true or false? Well, in order to answer that, I need to reference last week's message where I made the point that, you know, we can always totally, completely entrust ourselves to God. Why? Because, and it's on the screen, God has a plan. God has a plan. Secondly, God's plan rarely makes sense at the time. We also looked at how God's plan will reveal what's inside our hearts. And thirdly, that God's plan is always superior to hours. Now, I'm going to give a fourth one that we're going to kind of camp out on today, and it negates the question I just asked, whether or not God will ever give you more than you can handle, and it's this. God's plan sometimes is more than we can handle. And, you know, today as we are visiting with Joseph, again, I want us to look at this pattern. I want us to see this pattern goes straight through this account, uh, that God has a plan. It really rarely makes sense at times. 
Often it reveals our hearts. It's always superior to ours. And today, especially look at God's plan sometimes is more than we can handle. And you might want to write out beside that in our own strength. Okay, that's going to be the, the uh, kind of like the answer to how we are able to do what God has called us to do. But you know, all throughout Scripture, God calls his people to do things that they cannot do. Um, if you think about Jesus' earthly ministry, he did that all the time. Think about how he would go up to a lame man, and what would he say? Get up and walk. Now, if you cannot make that man get up and walk, that would be a cruel thing to do, wouldn't it? You don't do that. He also told his disciples when there were 5,000 hungry people surrounding him, what did he tell his disciples to do? You feed them. He also, uh, when he stood in front of the tomb of Lazarus, this guy is dead. What does he say? Lazarus, come out here. He could not do that. You know what the greatest thing that Jesus ever uh, commanded someone to do that they could not do? Come, follow me. That is the greatest thing that Jesus has ever commanded. He does not expect you to follow him out of just sheer strength and willpower that you produce. And so in all of these examples, he calls people to do things that they cannot do, that they are incapable of performing. Why? Why does he do that? Well, I promise you we're going to get to Joseph in just a second, but I've got to go to another passage to kind of explain this. And if you're going to check out of my sermon, do it after this, okay? Because this is going to be what you need to take away from here this morning. It's found in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. Verses 8 through 11, Paul is talking to the, has written a letter to the church in Corinth. He is telling them of his missionary journeys and the problems that he and his companions have had to endure during these, these journeys. And here's what he, wrote, he writes. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened, look at this, beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. In other words, you know what Paul is saying here? He's like, this burden was so, whatever they were going through, was, this trial was so great, we thought we were literally, literally going to die. And here's why, here's the answer of why this happened. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Why does he put that, who raises the dead? If you can raise the dead, there's nothing you cannot do, right? Verse 10 says, he delivered us from such a, a deadly peril. He's giving testimony of what God had done in their lives, and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us Again, he's delivered us in the past, he's delivered us in the present, he will deliver us in the future. And then look at verse 11, don't miss this. You also must help us. How? By prayer. So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So, you know, God's plan sometimes is more than we can handle, and that is, and here's the reason, is so that we will not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. 
We should never tell each other, man, believe in yourself or you got this. What we should say is, Trust in God. He's got you in this, okay? So we want to point ourselves, we want to point one another to the one who can tr- truly save us, who can do anything. And so, uh, and, and so uh, we can invite others also, as Paul did, into our struggles with us. That's why he allows tr- uh, trials or things that are too big for us, so that we can also invite others into our struggles with us. Now, Let's move to Joseph here, and we're going to see this pattern in his life, beginning with God's plan. Okay, so, and, and Matthew, he makes it very simple for us to see God's plan in verse 18. Look what he says. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. That's the plan. That's God's plan. Jesus Christ is God's plan, isn't he? He's the one that was promised. We talked about back in Genesis 3.15 where he promised to send a Savior to crush the head of the serpent. And, you know, for the first century Jew, hearing these words for the first time, to us it may just seem, you know, ordinary, but to the first century Jew who had never heard this, this would have been electrifying to their ears. Um, They would have been leaning forward to listen because Matthew is basically saying, let me tell you how Jesus the Christ The one who was prophesied about long ago came into the world. I want to tell you the actual events. This is more exciting than how Anakin Skywalker, see, y'all are listening now, became Darth Vader, you know? I remember when that came on in the screen and, you know, the screws went down and was like, whoa, that was awesome. This is more awesome. You know why? Because it really happened. This really happened. This affects our eternity, But the first century Jews would have been like leaning in to listen to this, and that's how we should be this morning. Matthew's like, you're not going to believe your ears. So that's God's plan. And initially, God's plan doesn't make sense to Joseph, does it? Let's look at it. It says, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child uh, from the Holy Spirit. Now, the Jewish betrothal is something that might seem strange to us in our culture, our modern culture, but it made perfect sense to Joseph and and those in the first century. Um, And there were basically three stages to a Jewish marriage. There was the engagement. This is where the parents or a matchmaker would uh, get a a groom and a a spouse and they would uh, bride and they would arrange the marriage. Now, to us, that seems strange, doesn't it? But you know what? Uh, based upon our divorce rate and marriage and divorce rate, I don't think we have much to talk about, do we? Um, this, their, their rate would have been much lower in, in Jewish times. I'm not recommending that we go back to this, but uh, it, it, it's strange to us, but it wouldn't be to them. Uh, secondly, they would go to a what would be called the betrothal period. This is where they would go to a synagogue and to a priest, and they would have a formal ceremony where the, the groom and the bride would make exchange vows, and they would be considered married. Except for one year, they would not live together. They would live separately. And during that time, the groom would go and prepare a place for his bride. This is a great picture of Jesus' second coming. He would go and prepare a place for his bride. During that time, both of them would stay pure with one another while he was making preparations. And then at at the end of the year, the, the groom would come back to take his bride to be with him. They would have 
a great marriage ceremony, a great feast that we, that's been kind of given to us that's going to happen when Christ comes back for his church. Uh, they would have family there. They would have friends. They would uh, consummate the marriage. And then they would live like all of us happily ever after, right, once they were married. Well, uh, so to Joseph, that betrothal period, that's not what was, would have been strange to him. It's what came after what, what the um, angel said. I'm, I'm sorry. It says before, there's two things. Before they came together, she was found to be with child. Now, Joseph, what's he thinking? He's like, the kid is not my son, right? That is not my child. So this is scandalous, right? Secondly, it says, from the Holy Spirit. That's ridiculous. That's what Mary's telling. That's the story she is telling. So this is a scandalous, ridiculous story that it's not really, I don't think it's difficult for us to kind of put ourselves in Joseph's shoes, is it? Because, you know, pregnant women are not virgins. That's just not how it works. That's not how God created it. Uh, that's never how it actually happens. And, and, and I don't know, and we don't know how Joseph heard the news. Uh, I don't, we don't know if it was firsthand. We don't know if um, he heard it through the grapevine. But I can just imagine uh, if that were me, it would not go well. And there would be a couple things that would be running through my mind. Number one, it would be unbelief. This cannot be happening. This cannot be God's will for me. Uh, Lord, I have kept myself pure. I've lived righteously before you. I've served you. And this cannot be your plan. Secondly, to think about Mary. Mary, I thought, I thought you were a godly woman. Um, I thought you were gonna uh, keeping yourself pure like I've been keeping myself pure for you. How could you uh, betray me in this? How could you break trust like this? And I think that, humanly speaking, that would be a reasonable response under the circumstances. It would be a reasonable response to a humanly unreasonable explanation. I mean, if someone comes and tells me what Mary told Joseph, I'm going to be like, okay, there's something wrong here. That does not make sense, and that did not make sense to Joseph. But this plan of God, it was God's plan, and it revealed, we're going to see, it reveals Joseph's heart. Let's look at how it does that in verse 19. And her husband Joseph being a just man. This is just like Zechariah and Elizabeth last year. He was a man who walked by faith, who trusted in the Lord. Being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Quietly. I love that. Um, unlike today, in, in our culture today, sexual purity in, in Jewish culture was guarded. Um, and it was a big deal to them back then to, to remain sexually pure. Now, just to be clear, it still is with God, and it should be with God's people. Um, he, war he reminds us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, when he says this, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. That's talking about any type of, of sexual immor immorality. He says, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. And so, you know, it's, it was a big deal then. It, it should be a big deal today. And 
This is something that couldn't be ignored by Joseph. Um, because of this, uh, Mary's apparent promiscuity would have had to be dealt with. So how, how was Joseph going to deal with it? Well, under the law, according to Deuteronomy 22, Joseph could have exposed her publicly. He could have brought her in front of the people and made an accusation, and she would have been found guilty of being pregnant. And uh, it's not likely that uh, she would have been stoned to death, even though that that's what the law uh, prescribed. Because of the Roman Empire, uh, they would not have allowed that. That's why Jesus had to be crucified by the Romans. The Jews could not execute uh, capital punishment. But um, if Joseph had taken this measure, she would have been uh, branded like with a scarlet letter. And this would have followed her the rest of her life. And, you know, actually, um, Jesus was, went with her the rest of her life, the, the, a reputation that was like that anyway. Uh, but this, if Joseph had said, I'm going to do this publicly, it would have brought great shame and humiliation to her. But God's plan reveals Joseph's heart, doesn't it? Because it says that Joseph was unwilling. He was like, I'm not putting her to shame. And he resolved to divorce her quietly. And that this would have happened by her, him uh, writing a, a, a certificate of divorce. He would just, just needed two witnesses in order to do that. And he could quietly send her away, at least for, for a time. But here's, here's what this situation reveals about Joseph. It shows that he knew God. You know how we know that? Because his heart is reflecting God's heart. That, that's God's heart towards us. He, his desire is never to shame and to humiliate us, is it? Now, sin is shameful and humiliating, and God is not, doesn't wink at it. He wants us to repent. But if we will respond when he comes to us, and we will repent, we will confess it, repent, and deal with it, God is just like Joseph, not wanting to put us to shame. Now, we're going to skip number three on this list of, of how God's plan is always superior to ours and go to, because that's how it always ends. But we're going to go to God's plan is more than Joseph can handle. Okay, I want us to see how this plan, God's plan for Joseph, was more than he could handle. Look at verse 20. It says, but as he considered these things, what things? As he considered what he was going to do with Mary, how he was going to honor God, in the way that he was going to deal with Mary. Matthew writes, behold. Now look at that word, behold. Anytime you see that word, behold, it's written there because it, basically what Matthew was saying is, hey, listen up. you got to pay attention to me. It's kind of like, imagine him, Matthew, being in a, uh, a circle with, with children telling this story. And he's telling, he's like, oh, now, listen up. Behold, you got this. What I'm about to tell you, there's three things I'm about to tell you that are going to totally blow your mind. Okay. The first one is this An angel of the Lord appeared to him, to Joseph. And the second thing is in a dream. Now, I want to kind of pause right here and talk about dreams and angels for just a second. Uh, because, like then and like uh, today, like today, back then, dreams from God and visitations of angels from God was not a normal, everyday occurrence. Now, all you have to do is study the scriptures 
And what you'll notice is that angels usually appear on the scene, and people usually have dreams when God is about to move his plan of redemption forward by doing something out of the ordinary. That's important to understand. Study the scriptures, and you'll see that that's what happens when God is beginning to uh, move, uh, move his plan forward. So prophetic dreams and visions and, and angels, uh, there's, there's three things about them that they are extremely. They are extremely powerful. They are extremely persuasive. Joseph, when he wakes up, is persuaded that Mary was telling the truth. And they are extremely rare. They are extremely rare. And so what I, what I want to do is I want to give our church caution as we come to dreams, as we come to angels, as we come to prophetic utterances. Now, I'm not saying that they don't happen today. I'm not saying that God doesn't send angels today and, and give revelation and, and that he doesn't speak to us. But I am saying that it is not, for the church, it is not the primary or common means of hearing from God. Now, now, let me go a little bit deeper into that, because there are many false teachers who have led millions astray by validating themselves as a prophet of God, by saying, I had this dream, I had this vision, I had this angel speak to me. So there's a danger in that because it does validate the person who was sharing that information. Secondly, you know, just like um, communication with handwritten letters, remember that when we used to do that and we would put them in the post, uh, post office and have to wait a couple of days? Just like that is not the primary, you got to hear the word I'm saying, primary way that we communicate with each other today, dreams and visions and angels are not the primary, the primary way that God communicates with his people. And you may be saying, James, how do you know this? Because I had a vision. No, so because, <laughs> because scripture, I want you to look at Hebrews chapter one, um, verse one, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers, how? By the prophets. By the prophets. Now, God spoke to the prophets. How did he speak to them? He would speak to them in dreams. He would speak to them uh, through visions. He would speak to them through angels. And they would take what God had given to them and then relay it to the people. They would write it down. That's what the Old Testament is the written record of visitations from angels and, and dreams and prophecies and, you know, narratives of what happened back then. Now look at, what about today? Well, look at verse 2. But in these last days, now that's clearly talking about everything from where Joseph is moving forward, okay? In these last days, he has spoken to us how? Not by angels, not through dreams, not through visions, but by his son. That This is very important to understand as you are growing as a believer, as you're seeking to hear from God. Um, this, is, this is talking about how the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And when he was here, what did he do? What did Jesus do when he was here? He performed signs and wonders 
He raised the dead. He walked on, on the waters. Why did he do this? You know what his greatest sign was? When he was raised from the dead. Why, was it, why did he do these things? It's to validate his word. You've got to, we've got to get this. It's to validate what he said. And so what happened after that is his apostles, his disciples that were with him, that were uh, first eye, uh, eyewitnesses firsthand, like the prophets, they wrote down what they heard and what they saw, and they passed it on to us in his written word. That is, that's how God speaks to us now. Primarily, I'm not saying it's the only way, and we are not cessationists. We believe that God still speaks to us through the Holy Spirit and through different, other different means, but the primary way that he speaks to us is through his word. He may speak to you through an angel. He might. He might speak to you through a vision or a dream. But I know he will speak to you every single day through his word by the Holy Spirit. So that's the primary way that when, when you're seeking to hear from God, let's be in his word. If he comes to you in an angel, you'll know it's an angel. If he comes to you in a, in a dream, you'll know it's a dream. But we can hear from him every single day through his word. So Matthew says, behold, listen, you, this is going to blow your mind. An angel appeared to, to Joseph in a dream. And there's a third thing. And this is what would have really turned Joseph upside down. He says this. Joseph, this is what the angel says to Joseph. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conveyed in her is from the Holy Spirit. He's validating Mary's uh, account. And then he, he's going to lay out three roles for three different people. Okay, and they're all different. Here's Mary's. She will bear a son. Here's yours, Joseph. You shall call his name Jesus. And here's Jesus's, and this is the one, the plan, isn't, of God. He will save his people from their sins. This is God's plan coming to fruition. Okay, and now did you catch the part that Joseph's role about naming Jesus? He says, you shall call his name Jesus. And, and we all know that who names children? Who names the children? The parents do, Right? So what God is saying is, Joseph, listen, you are a simple, ordinary, unknown carpenter from a simple, ordinary, uh, unknown, unknown town, and you are going to be the earthly father of the Son of God, if you are willing. That's the thing that you've got to let sink in. Can you imagine? I mean, as a father, as an earthly father of my children, that's, that's a huge uh, like responsibility of showing my weakness. But to be in charge of raising the Messiah, the Son of God, would have put me in a place, and I think it put Joseph in a place where he realized this is something that I cannot do in my own strength. Now, I want to point out three things uh, about what Joseph had to do. And that is, number one is that Joseph did not devise this plan. Okay, that's important to understand when we are seeking to follow, follow the Lord. Joseph didn't come to God and ask, hey, can I be the father of the Son of God? 
No, what happened? Joseph was faithfully serving the Lord, and God came to him with his plan for him, his role in this plan of redemption. And it's the same for us. Um, And that is that we need to be faithfully serving God in the areas that we know, already know to do. And during that time, he will bring his plans for, for us. Now, sometimes when he comes to us, it's with a task. He wants us to do something. And sometimes it's in the form of an unwanted trial or a circumstance that we wish was not there. But it's always, it will always be a situation crafted by God, specifically tailored for you. And here's, here's how you'll know it's that situation. It's because you won't be able to navigate through it without him. You will not be able to do what he has called you to do in your own strength. You will be dependent upon you. The second thing I want us to see from this account is that it cost Joseph something. Joseph had to count the cost. And the cost was high. If you think about it, if Joseph obeys the angel, his life is never going to be the same again. It's going to have some negative consequences, right? Um, He will bear the ridicule. He will bear the shame that comes with being closely associated with Jesus. And for us, again, it's the same. Sometimes following Jesus requires us to come out of our comfort zones, doesn't it? Sometimes it requires us to take risks. Sometimes it means that we have to be able or willing to stand alone when the crowd is not going the same way that we are going. Sometimes it means that you will be overlooked. Sometimes it means that you are going to suffer great loss. Again, because you are so closely associated with Jesus. The point that I'm making here is that you have to count the costs because it will cost you something. And then thirdly, I want you to see that Joseph had to make a choice. As we say, and as the scriptures teach, God never forces you to follow him. He doesn't force you to accept his love. And so after being given the plan, after counting the cost, Joseph has to make a choice. Am I going to obey God? Now, he could I guess he could have determined, you know, the cost is too high and walked away. And listen, I know that that happens a lot in, in lives, or in, in people's lives. They know what they, the call is, but they don't want to because they know the cost is too high and they walk away. But I want to say, tell you that in this case right here, God's plan would have still advanced without Joseph. Okay? God doesn't need us. That's It's an honor that God calls us to be a part of what he's doing, isn't it, church? It's an honor. But you know what? Fortunately, Joseph made the right choice, didn't he? Let's look at verse 24. It says, when Joseph woke from sleep, I love this, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And she called his name Jesus totally obeyed what God had commanded him. He didn't go, you know, I think Roger would be a better name for for him. He calls him Jesus. And because of his obedience, we've all benefited, haven't we, from his obedience. And, you know, um, many of us have lived long enough 
to where we can look back and see this pattern that I've been talking about, that God has a plan, that at times it doesn't make sense, that his plan reveals our hearts, and sometimes uh, it's more than we can handle, and that his plan is superior. We, we, we've lived long enough to see, man, his plan is always superior to ours. And I have countless stories and testimonies that I could share to illustrate how God has, has helped me in situations that I just was not equipped or able to do at the time. But I'm just going to share one this morning. And um, many of you know that I wanted to plant a church years ago in Asheville, but was unable to. I think it was around 2006. I had wanted to plant a church here in Asheville, but God gave me enough uh, understanding that I was not equipped to do that. So we moved our family down to South Carolina to be a part of a church that we hoped to get equipped and then come back later and plant the church. I thought it would be one or two years. We'd be back and thriving. Well, eight and a half years later, uh, we're still in South Carolina and an opportunity comes up where I can go back and be a part of planting a church here in Asheville. And so we're like, yes, let's do that. We answered the call and we moved back and during the pre-launch, something came up that was a problem. And you know what that is? It is that I couldn't preach. I mean, I literally could not preach. I tried to preach. And, uh, you know, it's a pretty big deal that if you're going to stand up here in the pulpit, you've got to be able to preach, right? And I could not preach. I literally got so terrified when I would stand in front of groups, I couldn't think clearly. Um, I was At the time, I was gifted in doing small groups. That was an area where I can talk. I throw something out, you talk back to me. But to stand up and talk 35 to 45, 46, 7, 48 minutes uh, without you responding back to me, that, that is a terrifying thing. And um, my family, they still remind me of this one sermon that I gave where I stood up and sounded like Elmer Fudd. I was like, I kept getting Mary and Martha's names. I mean, it was horrible. Um, I was so, I wanted to quit. But here's what I realized. I realized that God had me in that place, uh, in a place that, I, man, I don't know what to do here. And so, true story, during the pre-launch, we were visiting a, a local church, and the pastor said, hey, listen, if there's something you want us to pray for you in, take this note card, write it down, and then lay it at the altar, and our prayer team will pray for you. Now, we give that same uh, advice or offer to you every week. And so, man, I was, I'm, not a, I'm really not a big altar guy. I'm not against them, but I'm just not a big altar guy. But that day, I was so desperate uh, that I wrote um, on the card, I was just like, pray that I will learn how to preach as I'm planting this church. And I laid it on the altar. I, I can't imagine what, if I'm sure they prayed for me, but um, I, I knew that I was in a place that, that I was, I, I couldn't handle. And I was, and I would, I prayed uh, at that altar, I prayed, God, I cannot preach. Uh, I get nervous. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I need you to help me, because if you don't, I'm not going to be able to do what you've called me to do. And I said, if, if I ever can preach, I will give you the glory for it, because there is no way that's happening if you don't do something in my life. And so what I did was uh, I laid the card there, and um, 
I continued to pray, but I did two other things. Number one is I invited people into my struggle. Amen, Scotty? He, he knows what I'm, t- I'm not making this up, am I? He would text me, <laughs> which part, which part? <laughs> I'm telling you, it was bad. And, and, and you, you think it's bad now. You should have seen it then. But I would come to the, into the, uh, the pulpit with bottles of water, and you can watch some of our old videos, and they're just like crinkling. It's just horrible. I was so nervous. But I prayed, and then I invited people into pray. Would you pray for me this? And I know Scotty was one of the main guys. My, my wife and kids uh, prayed for me, uh, and um, I continued to pray. And then there's a third thing I did, and that is I did what I knew to do. I began to study in that area of what it means to preach, what is it? And that's something I, 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 man, I continue to do that. I know that I have not arrived. I'm not saying I am the greatest preacher. That's not why I'm sharing this story. The reason I'm sharing this is because I just now preached a 35, 40-something minute message, didn't I? And I'm giving you testimony of what God has done in my life. I've still got areas that I want to grow in this, but he has sustained Me, he sustained Terry over the years as we've preached. And maybe you're here today, and here's why I'm sharing this story, because maybe you're here today and you can relate to what I just shared. You have come to that place in your life where God's like, this is that something that God is calling you to. It could be being uh, parenting. It could be um, showing your parents honor. It could be in a marriage, it could be at your work, it could be somewhere that you, you're thinking, God has called me to that right now. And I know that if he doesn't come through in this, I'm not going to make it. It's more than I can handle. And I want to remind you of what we've been talking about. And I, this is true of Joseph's story. This is true of Zachariah's story and Elizabeth's story. And that is God has you where you are because he wants you to learn to rely not on yourself, but to rely on him, to put your hope fully in him, trust in him, so that when he does come through, the glory will go to him. So if you're in that place today, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Pray to God with whatever that thing is. Lay it at his feet. Confess it. He knows it. He has revealed that to you so that you will come to him. Lay it at his feet. Secondly, recruit people to pray with you. Invite people in to your, to your situation so that they can see where, where God answers the prayer and they can be a part of what God is doing. And thirdly, I want to encourage you to take the next step. Whatever God has called, whatever, where, wherever you're at, be faithful where you're at and just take the next step. Just take the next step, whatever that is, and then see what God does in your life. Point is, God wants to do in us and through us things that we cannot do apart from him. And here's why. Because in the end, as we are sanctified, he's going to be glorified. And isn't that what our hearts desire as his children? Amen.